I want to congratulate Don Wharton for being named the uh, new vice president. He's going to uh, add a lot to the leadership of the class. Don uh, came to Christ a number of years ago and immediately got involved uh, with the navigators and scripture memory. So this man knows scripture, and uh, that's going to be uh, a blessing for us when he stands up. He's already been charged uh, with speaking uh, the word of God to us when he uh, has an opportunity. Okay, let's look at Psalm 12, okay? Now what I want you to notice about Psalm 12 is that it opens with an urgent cry. Look at verse 1. Uh, now this is David writing this psalm, and he says, Help, Lord. Now what makes this request so interesting? This is a command. He's commanding God to help. It's not a request. It's, uh, it's not a wish. Uh, it is a it is a command in the sense he's demanding that this is a cry from his heart. Help, Lord! You know, if you if you are in a situation uh, and it's an emergency situation, what you do is you cry out for help. Just like when Peter walked on the water, he said, "Well, get out of the boat and come on." When he saw Jesus walking on the water, and Peter took a couple steps and then he went down, and then guess what he did? Help, Lord! It's an emergency situation. He didn't say, Lord, what do you think about helping? Uh, Lord, do you have time to help? Uh, he commanded the Lord to help. Now, I don't think David's presumptuous in commanding the Lord to help because uh, God has invited us to call out to him when we are in desperate need. And so that's what David does. Now, what I want you to do is notice the condition that causes David to cry out to the Lord. Okay, to blurt out, help Lord. You see the words for there. Help Lord. Why? Why does he want him to help? For the godly man ceases. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. He looks around him, looks around his nation, looks around the city of Jerusalem, and he sees that the godly people are disappearing. Uh, they're vanishing. And the ungodly, evidently, are taking their place. They're rising to positions of leadership. And so what he sees in Psalm 12, I believe, is a moral collapse of society. Okay? And you're going to see why this is happening. Now look, he describes that problem. Look in verse 2. They speak idly, everyone to his neighbor. Now this is the problem. Here's what's happening. The godly people are disappearing. And the ungodly are in a sense taking their place. Or, to put it another way, it could be the godly people are becoming ungodly. They're taking on ungodly habits. And it's affecting relationships. Notice this. They speak idly, everyone to his neighbors, talking about how you deal with people in society. How you relate to people that are very close to you. He says in verse 2, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. This is what it means to speak idly. Idly means they speak empty words. Uh, meaningless words. Well, how do they do that? Here it is in verse 2. With flattering lips. That speaks of insincerity. They say things, but they don't mean it. They're insincere. And then he says, with a double heart they speak. That means... They say one thing, but in reality they believe something else. So we call this hypocrisy, don't we? 
uh, or we can just call it good old-fashioned lying. So they speak idly. Hey, I'll do that for you. And guess what? They don't do it for you. Oh, that's so nice. And they start flattering, but in reality they say, And that's, and they say something in one side of the mouth, and out of the other side, they believe something else. Now, Spurgeon said this. He was the great preacher of the 18th, 19th century. He said, a man would rather face a lion than to face a liar. Now, think about that for a second. I listened to that, read that verse, and I, that quote, and I thought about it. A man would rather face a lion than he'd rather face a liar. Why? Why would you rather face a lion than a liar? At least with a lion, you know what you're going up against. You know the nature of the beast. You know what the situation is. But with a liar, you have no idea. You don't know what the truth is. You don't know what they're saying and when it's the truth and when it's not the truth. What they're really thinking. So, uh, and the amazing thing is, is that uh, just like a, a wolf, looks like a dog but it's not a liar looks like a friend but she's not see that's why you'd rather face a lion than a liar because you don't know what you're dealing with with a liar but you know what you're dealing with with a lion does that make sense so now David expresses his wish look at verse 3 he says may the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things, the tongue that puffs up, the tongue that uh, flatters people and puffs them up and speaks these proud things. This is David's solution to the problem. What is his solution? May the Lord cut it off. Cut off what? The flattering lips. Now, he doesn't literally mean cut the lips off. He doesn't literally mean cut out the tongue that lies. Although, in the Middle East, those things do happen. They just cut it off. You go to a Muslim country and you steal, guess what they do with your hand? They cut it off. But David's not telling God to literally cut off the tongue or the lips. He's using it uh, metaphorically. Uh, what he's saying is, God, you need to stop this. That's why he says, help, Lord. You need to stop this lying, this widespread lying that's, that's causing this nation to crumble. We're in the midst of that right now in this nation. Now, how does God stop it? How does God stop the lying, the deceit? How did he stop Bernie Madoff? Got caught. Now, a guy can stop it through natural means or he can do it through supernatural means. I mean, he can cause fire to come down and consume the person. Or he can do it through natural means. Now, we know that through all these different psalms, oftentimes that the person who's evil gets caught in his own trap, doesn't he? That's one of the ironies that we see in these psalms. How did Bernie Madoff get caught? Well, he got caught because he stopped because he got caught. 
he got caught in his own traps. So whatever it takes, uh, David is saying, Lord, stop them. Why do they need to be stopped? Because they won't stop it themselves. And he sees the nation going down the tubes. Now look at verse 4. He describes these people. They won't stop it themselves, and here's how we know. Look how he describes them. Who have said, this is what those flatterers and those liars say, who have said, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. That's an interesting verse. Because notice the confidence that they've got. Notice the pride that they have. Uh, they have confidence that no one can stop them. Look. With our tongue, we will prevail. We'll be able to lie our way to the top. No one will be able to stop us. Did Bernie Madoff think that? Don't think that these people think they're going to get caught. They don't think they're going to get caught. They have this confidence that they can get away with it, continue to deceive their way to success. Now, what else makes this verse very interesting in verse 4? It says, our lips are our own. But some translations translated this. Our lips are our blade. Our lips are our blade. Which means our lips are our, 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 our weapon. And it signifies that uh, uh, their lips are sharp. Their lips are cutting. We can say what we can, we'll say what we want and we'll be able to get away with it. We can make our way to the top because our lips are our weapons and they are sharp. And so they use their lips to inflict pain on people. They'll cut one person down to raise themselves up. They'll cut this person down to their boss to raise themselves up. But to this person, they'll flatter them. And their lips are like weapons. That's why I think we, we have this phrase, that person's got a sharp tongue. Where do you think you ever got that concept? That person's got a sharp tongue. Why would they say sharp tongue? Because they're cutting. They're like a blade. Right here. In Psalm 12. It's very interesting. Well, it's interesting to me if that translation is right, and it's very possible it is, that our lips or our tongue or our blade, a blade that cuts, back in verse 3, what does David ask God to do? He asks God to, to cut. Did you see that? See that verse 3? May the Lord cut off the flattering. He asks God to cut something. How is God going to cut something? God's going to cut it the same way they cut with his words. God's words are sharper than any two-edged sword. God's words, God's lips are his blade. How does God defeat? He defeats with the word. Hebrews says his word is like a two-edged sword. It discerns. It divides. It destroys. His word does that. Revelation 19 says when Christ returns, out of his mouth is going to come a two-edged sword in which he will strike the nation. So I think that that's what David's doing. He's using this concept of cutting. 
and our words and our lips. Because it's not their lips that are sharp, is it? Does it mean their lips are thin? Oh, what sharp lip? It means what they say with their lips. It's their words that he's describing here. And he's describing words and the effect that words have on people. And so then at the end of verse 4, these liars say, Who is Lord over us? Who can stop us? I just think of Bernie Madoff. If that thought ever came to his mind, who's my, who's my boss? Who do you think his boss was? No one. Just himself. No one's the Lord over these people. They don't have God in their conscience. They think that they can get away with it and uh, they will talk their way to success. So now God speaks. Now look at verse 5. Now look how God opens this. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him, the needy person, in safety for which he yearns. Now here's God's answer. This is God's answer to those braggadocious people who think they can talk their way to success. Now notice, he says, I will arise. Do we, have we seen that before? If you've been with us in our study of Psalms, we've seen that six times before. God's arising. And when God gets up, you're in trouble. Now, you want to know what causes God to arise? You want to know what causes God to move into action? Look what he says in verse 5. For the oppression of the poor. Number one. Number two. For the sighing of the need. Look. You want to get God angry? All you need to do is oppress the poor. Now, how are these people oppressing the poor? Through their lies. Through their cheating. Through their deception. Now, to oppress anybody is a sin. Would you agree with that? To oppress a poor person is the height of sin. That'll get God angry. I thought only Luke talked about taking care of the poor. Remember when we were in Luke for 79 weeks? And Jesus talked about the poor in the Sermon on the Mount and all the times he talked about the poor. Where do you think he came up with that? See, Jesus knew the Psalms and if you oppress the poor, that gets God's attention. And he says, and for the sighing of the needy, I will arise. Uh, these are people who are sighing. Sighing is a, is a groan. It's a uh, an inaudible, in a sense, uh, inarticulate expression of pain and despair. You just go. <sighs> it's the word that's described to the Hebrew children who were enslaved to Egypt, who were oppressed by the hard and harsh hand of Pharaoh. And it said the people sighed, and God heard their sighs, and guess what he did? He responded. And he says, he will set him in safety for which he yearns. Did God set the Israelites in safety? Did he lead them through the Exodus and take them to the promised land? Hey, you want to get God angry? You just oppress the poor. You just use vicious means to keep people down and God's wrath is going to come upon you and he's going to step in on their behalf. Now let me show you something that's very interesting. I want you to 
keep your marker here, and I want you to move a book over to uh, the Proverbs. You see, the oppressed, people who are poor as a result of oppression, have no recourse. There's nothing that they can't get out of the situation. They're stuck. That's why they're signing. I remember when I was a kid, uh, six or seven years old, my father worked for the police department. He wasn't a cop, but he worked for the police department. He was a, an accountant. <clears throat> and uh, now this is only a six-year-old's recollection. And, you know, we, we could just barely make it. We were living in a second-floor apartment, you know, and uh, just barely making ends meet. And I remember bill collectors calling when I was six years old. I remember my mother just going like that. <sighs> That's what these people feel. They feel helpless. She felt helpless. What could she do? You know, just helpless. And uh, now, we didn't stay in that condition. But guess what? That memory's never left me. I remember my mother just going, why did she go? Because everything seemed helpless. Nothing she could do about it. And when we oppress people, and they, because of us, they are caught in the trap, uh, then God steps in. He gets very angry with us. Now look at Proverbs 22. Okay? Proverbs 22. And when you get there, look down at verse 22. Proverbs 22, 22. Now this is a very interesting passage to me. When you get to Proverbs 22, look at verse 22, and then we'll look at verse 23. Verse 22 says, Do not rob the poor because he is poor. Look at that statement. It doesn't say don't, don't rob the poor. What does it say? Don't rob the poor what? Because he's poor. Hey, I can rob that person and take advantage of it. Because he's poor. I could sell that person a $100,000 life insurance policy. <laughs> you know, they're so dumb they wouldn't know what to do. You know, I'll, now, they won't be able to pay the premium, but that's okay. I'll get my commission. And you take advantage of people. How about these preachers that are taking advantage of poor people? If you will just say in your mind, I know you're poor, but you need to... Plant a seed faith, you know. You need to send me a hundred dollars and say, Reverend so-and-so. You know, that's taking advantage of the poor. So here's what it says. Do not rob the poor because he's poor. Nor oppress the afflicted at the gate. Now here is why you shouldn't do it. One of the reasons. For the Lord will plead their case and plunder the soul of those who plunder them. So you're up against God. And uh, if you, you know, make money off of the poor, and you take the last dime they have, and you say you're going to do something for them, and you don't, and you built those people, hey, guess what? God will take care of you. You plundered them, he'll plunder you. How much will Madoff have in prison? See, he'll have absolutely nothing. He'll be like everybody else in prison. Because he's plundered. He plundered the rich. A little different, wasn't it? And he still came down. Now let me ask you. God says if you do that, he'll take care of you. You think God will keep his word? Or you think it's just these are just words on the paper and they really don't mean anything? Will God really keep his word? I think he will. 
because when you go back to Psalm 12, look what it says. Look at verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver tried in a furnace of earth, pured seven, purified seven times. So, what we have is he says you can count on God keeping his word because God's word is pure. It's been refined. It's been like it's been refined through a fire seven times. Now, what he's doing, I think David is doing, is he is contrasting God's word with the wicked people's words. Now, God's words are pure. Their words are wise. They are mixed words, double-hearted. They're 50-50 words. But God's words are 100% pure. Their words are idle. They have no meaning. Hey, God's words have meaning. If he says something, he means it. Their words are wise and his words are true. Now, how do we know his word is pure? How do we know he's going to keep his word? Well, it says right here, because his words have been tried seven times. Now, think about that. Uh, God doesn't make a promise uh, lightly. Uh, you know that God will keep his word because in the past, when he's made a promise. That promise was tested over and over and over and over and over again and every time God came through on his word. It's been tested in the past over and over and over. He uses the word seven there just to say, hey, guess what? Unlimited times it's been tested. He's never lied. Let all men be a liar, but let God tell the truth. God will always keep his word. He's always come through. Unlike the flatterers, and because they have proven true in the past, we say his word's infallible. His word's trustworthy. We talk about the infallibility of Scripture, the infallibility of the word. That means it's trustworthy. You can, you can bet your life on it. So here we see that God's word's infallible, and he's going to take care of these people who have been oppressed, and he's going to punish the people who are the oppressors. Now here's David's confidence. Look at verse 7. You shall keep them, O Lord. These are the oppressed people. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. What generation? The generation of liars uh, that are taking that is taking over uh, Jerusalem. Now, that's a very interesting phrase. You'll preserve them from this generation of ever, forever. This generation of liars. And when liars take over, it can affect a generation. It can affect uh, a society when lying gets out of hand. And if society is to survive in the midst of lying, now we're talking about widespread lying. We're talking about when you reach the critical mass and lying is more common than truth-telling then the foundation of the society has started to crumble. And at that point, the only way that you can strengthen up that foundation is for God to come, to come in. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to be crying out for God to help us. Now last night I just wrote down the word uh, business. Just wrote down the word business. I said, well, let me see. 
How honest are the corporate executives in America right now? How honest are people who come to your house and say, I'll fix this, and they do it just like they say they're going to do it? Or they send somebody who's totally incompetent, and that's not what you agreed to. That wasn't your contract. Is that more the case or less the case in your experience? See, just think about that. Or think about education. Are we really delivering the education that we say we're going to deliver? Or are our teachers cheating on the tax test? What's common? Is that common? I mean, when you can't trust the business people and you can't trust the educators, at least you can trust the pharmaceutical companies, can't you? <laughs> because, you know, they would never give you a medicine that would kill you. You've seen those ads. Take this for your high blood pressure. But, and then they list 150 things that's going to kill you if you take the medicine. <laughs> you know, if you did that, somebody would put you in jail for the rest of your life. You said, I got, a, I got something that would work that will take care of something in your house, but your house will burn down in the front. <laughs> yeah. And it's not that they just uh, put this on the market, but they do it knowingly at times, knowing that it can hurt. And then lying and say, oh, no, no one's ever died on this. The car industry is doing the same thing. How many times have they produced a car that was a killer and wouldn't take it off because they wanted to make the money? See, it just, it just, it's gotten to the point where it doesn't, uh, it's, it's beyond the way it used to be. Or the banking industry. What have they done with the money that you put in the bank? You know, where are they investing your money? Uh, who are they giving it to? Are they giving you, passing out these loans that, to poor people who can't afford them and they know they can't afford them, but they do it anyway? Taking advantage of them and then repossessing the house or whatever the situation is? Well, I'm glad we at least have sports figures that we can trust. <laughs> Aren't you? Now, no, none of them would ever take drugs to cheat or get an advantage over somebody, would they? I don't think they would do that. Now, remember when it happened in the old days? The Black Sox scandal? A little kid came up and said, say, don't, say it ain't so, Joe. Say it ain't so. That was a shock that somebody would cheat in sports. Who ever heard of such a thing? Take a bribe to throw a game? A World Series game? Say it ain't so. You say that anymore? You're so shocked when it happens, you say, oh, I can't believe it. Just say it ain't so. Now, you're shocked if you discover that there's an athlete that doesn't take the drug. You see? That's where, this is why I think that this psalm is very uh, relevant for us. But I'm glad the politicians are okay because they would never take bribes from builders or anything like that they when they run on a campaign and they make a promise they're going to keep that promise you know that 
They gave you their words, didn't they? They said, my word, you take my word for it. When I become, I will. Look, and let's all just blame it on Democrats. Read my lips. No more taxes. <clears throat> now guess what? He didn't have to say that, did he? But why did he say that? He wanted to get votes. This is where we are in our society. Now this book I'm reading about, which deals with the CIA, and uh, did you know they had, in the 60s, they had 64 plots to assassinate Fidel Castro. 64. And the President of the United States didn't even know it, and they asked him. He asked them, and he said, oh no, we, we wouldn't do it. Well now, now guess what? Oh, yeah, the, the Public Information Act and all the documents are starting to be released, and guess what? We're discovering they did exactly what they said they didn't do. He said, well, that's the CIA. They should be allowed to tell what? To the President of the United States? The Congress? That's how revolutions happen when you have one group in the government that doesn't work hand-in-hand -hand with the other group, in a sense. So, you know, I'm glad that churches are not in this category because <laughs> we would never ruin someone's trust in us because we always tell the truth and, uh, you know. Well, you know, I, I could go on and on and on. Uh, insurance companies are reliable, at least you, that's why they're, they're called insurance. You know, you get, pay your premium and then when the tornado hits, they're going to take care of your house and they're not going to try to cheat you. You don't have to worry about it. That's why State Farm now is going to have to give back. I forget how many millions because they built people uh, out of certain out of what they deserve. So what you have here is you have these people that are getting success, successful and they're getting riches through their lives and they're doing it on the backs of people who have no recourse. And the thing is that the origin of lying goes back to the Garden of Eden and Satan who says you can do this and get away with it. You won't die. You know why God doesn't want you to eat from that tree? Watch this flattery. Because he knows that the day you eat you'll be just like him. Go ahead, you deserve it. How is that for flattery? How is that for a lot? But God's word was the truth. See, so you had truth and you had the lie, and they both originate in the garden. So just remember this. I don't know where our country is going to go if God doesn't step in. I don't know where our church is going to go. Not our church individually, but the church worldwide is going to go if God doesn't step in. I only know what we're responsible for as individuals. Anytime you're tempted to follow this course, remember that the lie started with the devil. And the moment you lie, you are being used as an agent of Satan. 
you are being duped by him. And you're following his methods, and that's not Christ's methods, and that's not God's methods. Now, verse 8 here is a repeat of verse 1. It says, the wicked prowl on every side, when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Now, this is why David has to make his plea to begin with, because you have the ungodly ceasing in verse 1, the faithful are disappearing, but in verse 8, the wicked are being exalted. So you have two key words there in verse 8. First of all, the wicked are on the prowl. That's a great word, isn't it? Prowl. They're on the hunt. These people are looking out for who they can take advantage of. Like animals on the prowl. Like a, like a lion on the prowl. And this hops on a helpless victim. When you're on the prowl, you're always prowling for somebody who's weaker than you are. You're not hunting for something animal or a person stronger than you are you because you know you might get beat up you might get eaten alive so being on the prowl is a description of animal like qualities that humans have and they're on the prowl and they're looking for some weak person that they can just take advantage of and then the second key word there is the word exalted when vileness it's not vileness that's exalted it's the people that's exalted in a sense uh, it's describing when sin infiltrates high places. It's uh, when, it, when it gets the upper hand in a situation. Then the entire uh, society is infected. And when the foundations of truth and the foundations of trust upon which every society, every society is built. Every society is built on trust, isn't it? And truth. And when they are destroyed, then that society begins to crumble. And that's when God has to step in. That's when we need to cry out to God for our nation and for our church. We're never more like the devil than when we're alive. So when Ananias and Sapphira saw the land, and they said, we're going to help the poor. And then they keep back a portion and they lie. Peter says, Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. And you will not walk out of this room alive. And just like that, God took them out of the way. We're never more in danger of God's wrath than we fall into this temptation to lie in order to exalt ourselves and get what we want. So what's the other option? Trust. Trust in the Lord. Do the best you can and leave the outcome to Him. Next week we'll pick up at Psalm 13. Father, we thank You for uh, this passage of Scripture that describes the church worldwide today and that describes our society. There's only a remnant people who are obedient. And Lord, it's incumbent upon those who are trying to live for you in this situation to cry out, help Lord, help Lord. Lord, we know that you're, you're not asleep. You are aware of all this. We ask that you arise and that you move and that you solve these problems. Bring the exalted down 
and exalt those who are oppressed. Set them free. Set them in a place of safety. For this is our prayer. In Jesus' name.